0: That's right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Principles of Fitness Podcast. My name is Cameron Harn, and on today's episode, we have industry legend Anthony Carey with us on the show today. Anthony is the CEO and founder of a company called Function First based out in San Diego, where they are helping people manage their pain experience to a whole level. Now. Anthony has a resume longer than I can list on this intro, so I'm just going to put it in the show notes for you. But he has a master's in biomechanics and athletic training, and he uses his sound understanding of biomechanics to help people manage their pain experience more effectively. And that's exactly what we're going to dive into today, is how our bodies interpret pain and how Anthony uses a non-invasive approach, a movement-based approach, towards helping people mitigate their pain experience more effectively not only do we talk about pain but we also talk about how anthony got started in in the industry what his why is what some of the core values are over at function first and who were some of the people that helped him get to where he is today there's also a ton of information that i'm going to include in the show notes Including Anthony's pain free movement specialist program that you can find on the American Council on Exercise. Uh, his invention, the Cortex. We talk a little bit about um, finding your why, so the Discover Your Why course that Simon Sinek has produced. You can check that out also. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this episode with Anthony Carey. <laughs> Anthony, I want to uh, get my listeners to know you a little bit better. Uh, Can you just tell me a little bit about how you got started in the fitness industry? And I know from my conversation with Derek on the podcast, he says you're kind of like the man when it comes to helping people get out of pain.
1: Well, that's very kind of him to say that. Um, That is mainly what I've done for the better part of my career in terms of working with clientele and the type of science and research that I've dove into. Uh, We do it, of course, all through an exercise intervention. We don't do any hands-on stuff because that would be outside of our professional boundaries, but it's understanding the science. It's understanding um, the biomechanics. It's understanding uh, the needs of the individual, and it's providing them with uh, hope and empowerment through what we do that has really uh, led to some of the folks really doing well with our program over the years. And I've, I've had the uh, you know, the good fortune and the privilege of working with people from um, more than 30-some states in the U.S. and 17-plus countries around the world that have either come to see us live or worked with us remotely.
0: That's awesome. And, and intervention through exercise. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you came about the process? Because... I think that's something that's incredible that a lot of us can benefit from because you have clients who are coming in all the time who are complaining about chronic injuries. And how do you go about the proper interventions for them?
1: Well, one of the things that we, we've we always done and that we would continue to do is realize that pain is a very comprehensive and complex experience that everybody has. Uh, we never design exercise programs Um, and I'm using my fingers here to make quotes to treat anybody because, again, that's outside of our professional boundaries. We never use the word treat. We never call our customers patients. Um, They know that they're coming in for an exercise uh, program. But what we do is we look at the body more globally uh, as well as, again, kind of the needs of where that individual is and and some of their concerns and their fears and their apprehensions and their um, insights into what past interventions have done for them, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, And then we use biomechanics as the platform in terms of uh, deciding on exercises, but that those exercises also have to mesh well with the entire um, biopsychosocial lens from which we view our programming. And that simply means that um, it's not just about a tight muscle, weak muscle, a valgus knee. It has as much to do with mechanical stress as it does to deal with a person's um, beliefs and expectations about their pain, ideas that have uh, been thrust upon them from, you know, medical professionals, stressors that are introduced um, as a result of experiencing this pain or in anticipation of this pain. So the programming is really geared around reducing the threat uh, to that individual, both um, biomechanically and psychologically. And, Putting together a very specific strategic sequencing of exercises that doesn't provoke pain, um, builds their confidence, and then integrates their uh, neuromusculoskeletal system all at the same time.
0: That's fantastic. Now, I've experienced this myself where an individual come in complaining about some type of chronic injury and... You know, I'm glad you brought up this uh, biopsychosocial aspect of it too, because I find that when they come in and they have an issue and like, okay, well, let's go get to a physician. Let's go to a doctor. Let's see what's going on with that area. And when they leave and they go see the doctor, I find that sometimes the symptoms get worse because now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well now we get an MRI. And then it's like, oh my gosh, wait. And then now like when people hear like, okay, well now we got to go get an MRI. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm way worse off than I thought I was. And then they get the MRI, and then there's some type of abnormality, which you had made a post about asymptomatic abnormalities uh, from an MRI scan. And I want to talk about that also with this. But then they get that scan, and they are like, okay, oh man, now there's something wrong with me, now that it's worse, I've got, you know, then it's like, okay, now there's the prospect of surgery, I might need to get surgery. And then all of a sudden, it's like this cascading effect of, bad to worse, especially emotionally for them, like, how do you go about properly guiding them through that process and showing them that, Hey, we can, we can solve these issues through movement.
1: Uh, What you're describing is more common than not. Um, and if you could imagine, uh, somebody who does like what I do, so you, you probably see, um, folks of all abilities, right? I I yes. only get, <laughs> I only get the person who's got chronic pain and has already been to the doctor, has already been to the physical therapist, has already been to the chiropractor, has already been um, had injections. Uh, they, they've had a lot of that, so they're they're doubled down on all of the negative effects of of that fear that you're describing and that that uh, anticipation of more bad things to come. So I mean right off the bat the first thing that we want to share with them is that what most of what they're seeing is normal part of an aging process and that we okay. you know we refer to that as just wrinkles on the inside meaning that the correlation of the degenerative changes to their pain is very very low and in fact there's much more predictors of of let's say chronic lower back pain that are not related to what the mri shows so for a lot of poke a lot of folks if there's not significant ridiculous pain nerve pain there's not significant any loss of uh of function meaning that there's muscle weakness or you know drop foot or something like that um there's no bowel or bladder problems or some or those sorts of more extreme things it's, it's probably better off at this point and this is and and the medical community is starting to agree, starting to see and agree with this as well, is that you shouldn't get an MRI, <laughs> especially if it if it's going to elicit that kind of response from the individual. Really? Because, yeah, because you're going to see, I'm 51 years old. I have no lower back pain. If you MRI'd my back, you probably see degenerative changes. And again, and that's mm-hmm. normal. That's absolutely normal. Um I don't have, and then you could you could MRI somebody who's twenty five who has excruciating chronic back pain for five years, and their spine might look normal. So the relationship between the two are not. Matter of fact, there was a study done looking at um, men in their in their fifties, and they MRI'd their lower backs, and they filled out this extensive um, kind of psychological profile questionnaire. And what they learned was that depression was a greater predictor of lower back pain in that population than their MRIs. Whoa! And that's because their MRIs were bound to show something, right? I played sports. I played football through college. I mean, I, I crashed my mountain bike. I'm probably going to show some some issues in my in, in my body throughout. But none of that is associated with any any chronic pain that I experience.
0: So then, why do we get so dependent on? what the results are from the scan. Why is it that people kind of hang their hats on? Is it because they feel like they're going to find a solution through the scan that, okay, you know, if I get this done, then that means that there is going to be an end to my pain eventually.
1: That's certainly one of the reasons to do it. Well, first of all, it goes way back. It, there's there's a lot of reasons that goes into that, and we don't even want to get into sort of um, doctors trying to cover their ass against liability and all that. But it also goes way okay. back to the to the fact that for up until – 10 to 12 years ago. And and unfortunately there's a lot of practitioners that still view it this way that, that pain was purely a, a biomechanical kind of biochemical, um, event. And now we know it's, it's much different than that, which is why you can have uh, a a back that's totally jacked up and through imaging, but have no pain because there's not that one-to-one correlation, right? So if, if we've if the understanding at the time was that if you have degenerative discs in your back for example then that's why you have back pain well that mm-hmm. so then we got to order up an mri to find out what's going on back there right so that's yeah. part of it and then the other part of it would be exactly what you were describing in that you know the individuals are we're always trying to find a, a villain who what can we blame and and if i can label something place a label on this then then i know i have i have some um, clarity, I have some confidence or certainty that that's what it is. But the downside to that is if I'm 60 years old and it shows that I've got scoliosis and, and congenital degeneration within my uh, congenital scoliosis and I've got degeneration in my in my spine and you've told me that and I have back pain and you tell me my back pain is related to that. Well, I'm not going to undegenerate my spine and I'm not, right? <laughs> so how am I, how yeah. am I ever going to get out of pain? Well, Therefore, I'm getting older, so pain is a is a consequence of getting older that I'm just going to have to live with for the rest of my life. And that's not true either.
0: I hear that way too often, and it drives me nuts. Yeah. And there's there's data out there on that too, that the
1: number of people that believe uh, that getting older corresponds with, with having pain, or vice versa, having
0: pain corresponds with getting older. I guess, just to help people understand a little bit, could you take us through kind of what is going on for people when they are experiencing pain? Because... I feel like the the more of an understanding that we have with kind of our bodies and why we experience pain it'll give us a better clarity on like the proper procedures that we can go to alleviate that pain or mitigate it a little bit better.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um so if we're if we're talking to fitness and medical professionals we would understand what the term nociception means, right? So nociception is is information that's Picked up from the periphery, meaning our nervous system, in our skin, in our joints, in the tissue, um, even in blood vessels, is going to send data. So what we used to think was nociception equaled pain, right? Yeah. So and nociception can be either uh, thermal, chemical, or mechanical, right? So they're the three ways that that mm-hmm. inf- that information enters into our into our data banks. But so basically, what it is though is it's data that travels from the periphery to the spinal cord and then up the spinal cord where once it reaches the brain, the brain has to make a decision. The brain decides, is this dangerous? Is this a threat or is it something else? If the brain senses that it's threat, a threat, then we're going to experience pain. Yeah. And, that's, and that's because yeah. pain is generally a protective me- mechanism, right? If you sprain mm-hmm. your ankle, having pain in your ankle uh, around those Damaged ligaments is beneficial because it tells you to stay off your ankle, don't walk on it, so that it can heal. Mm-hmm. But there becomes a point where pain no longer serves a purpose, and that's where we pain is considered chronic, right? So, chronic pain now is loosely defined um, as anything that is consistent for three months or intermittent for six months or more. So, if if and and the timeline comes from the fact that that's about how long it takes tissue to heal. So, if I did sprain my ankle, if I did damage my ligaments, at the end of three months, generally that tissue should have healed. So if if the pain was specifically related to the damaged tissue and the tissue has healed, I should have no more pain. That makes sense? Yeah, that okay. makes sense. Nine months later, I've still got pain in my ankle. The tissue is healed. It no longer correlates with tissue damage. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. Yes. So now you've got chronic pain in your ankle and you start to wonder – what is going on? Well, at this point, something mm-hmm. has uh, happened to the sensitization within your nervous system because you're walking every day, right? And you still have pain in your ankle and uh, maybe you're limping a little bit. Maybe your your ankle even throbs just when you're laying in bed at night. But it's because there's still data traveling up to your brain. Your brain has pieced together a bunch of uh, different aspects within itself that is linked to that ankle that now is still producing pain, or this, this the experience of pain, when there's needn't be any because there's no longer a threat. Yeah, and the more we experience that, the stronger and more ingrained it becomes within our nervous system, so that uh, we start to experience more and more. We get we get better at the pain experience the more that we've had it, and the longer that we've had it, which is nothing that we want to go around bragging about, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, which some people do, you know, they're always like, Oh yeah, it's just a shoulder. No big deal. I've dealt with it for years. Right. Well,
1: that, and that, that actually speaks a little bit more to the psychosocial side of things as well, because now they've identified with their pain, right. And it becomes, uh, it either becomes a badge of honor. It becomes a reason why they can't do certain things. It becomes a topic of conversation to get them a little bit of, of attention. There's a whole lot of other, um, uh, other aspects that are beyond just the fact that, uh, it's been bothering me for years and I just keep working through it.
0: Yeah. When you get somebody who's been recommended that they stay off, let's say post, I might be getting a little too far off from this, but post-surgery or is it better for them to stay off an injury or to just kind of work through it? What is kind of the thought process behind that?
1: Well, I I don't work with post-surgical folks unless it's, it's become chronic. Uh, They're much better going to a, the qualified physical therapist for that sort of thing for what they might need. Yes. And you know when we, if we go back to that biopsychosocial paradigm or that biopsychosocial lens from which we we view these folks through that's three separate yet interdependent factors that go into the pain experience. And that doesn't mean one's more important than the other or one Only one will occur for your knee, but all three will occur for your shoulder. So there is always going to be a biomechanical slash biochemical aspect to this. So you can get a ton of nociception post-surgery that is telling your body that, you know, this needs to heal, leave it alone. We need to do all the the right things to let that happen. And if you're looking at something like, say, a lower back, you may not want to move it too much. Um, but yeah. if you're looking at more of, an, uh, one of the joints and extremities or something like that, they may be working on range of motion with you that because of, of fear that you're not going to get that motion back from protecting it too long. So I mean, it does depend on where that person is in that healing continuum. And, and there's, there's actually different schools of thought on that as well, I think in the, in the rehab community. Um, but when you have, chronic pain and, and folks experience this. I mean, there's sort of full body type pain, like fibromyalgia that people will get all over. And then there might be local chronic pain that somebody has either in their back or their neck or something like that. And um, doing, trying to work through the pain has its, has its downside too, because what it'll do is it'll further um, ingrain or, or strengthen what's called a neuro tag or neuro representation in the brain of that pain. Now on the flip okay. side of it, you can't, you can't just avoid doing anything that ever makes it hurt because that's almost impossible, and it and it adds to really shrinking your world or, your, or what I would call your movement catalog that's available to you at that point. So there there is a, a balance, but that's where it becomes super valuable to work with somebody that understands that and can gradually expose you to a little bit more in these safer, non-threatening exercises and and ways that you can sort of create this novelty to the nervous system so that it doesn't associate it with with the existing neural representation in the brain. And then uh, it allow, it really gives you a win of opportunity to make some, some significant changes in how a person functions and feels and how they perceive uh, what they're capable of.
0: Now, are you helping them, like, are you provoking them into certain movement patterns that will establish confidence? And then have you noticed when people seem to move in a certain way that they weren't paying attention to. And then you're like, Hey, look, now you've got, you know, better knee flexion. Does the pain start to go away for them or do they, they feel more confident? They feel better. How does that like, I guess more of that, uh, psychosocial experience start to go for them?
1: Well, it it, it absolutely can happen that way. Um, generally it's going to happen a little bit over time. and, And that is a, um, a way that we address some of the limitations. We'll, we'll create movement at a segment in their body or a portion of their body in a way that they've never done it before, whether, whether it's coming from above or below, which is much different than what they associate with the pain. Um, And then when you do that, what you, and, and you pointed out to them that look what you just did, you have provided both in that biopsychosocial viewpoint you've, given them both a, a biomechanical uh, neurological difference in in how they achieved it so the novelty without pain but you've also added to their confidence because now they they see that it's it's possible that it can happen right now it's not you know. in my experience it's not just a, a switch that flips one time and stays on um yeah. it requires you know i i describe it to my clients as you know when you have fear, let's say it's of the knee going downstairs, and and even before you get to the step, you're at the top of the stairs, you're already anticipating the pain. That's because you've had a, a boatload of historical reference that tells you that that's going to be painful, right? So, yes,
0: one absolutely. event
1: in my presence in my studio at Function First is not going to <laughs> necessarily uh, wipe out that completely, but it's mm-hmm. uh, if you if you don't mind, I share with you an analogy that we call the haunted house effect. And this this will resonate. Okay. Um, this will resonate with pretty much everybody. Um, every year around Halloween, you'll, pops up on social media. You see these uh, images of, and I don't even know where this haunted house is, but it's like a camera takes a a, a snapshot and lights flash on the individuals as they've just seen what has to be the most ungodly frightening thing in the haunted house that anybody's ever seen right because you because you <laughs> yeah. never get to see what they're scared of but you get to see their reactions and you 'll see these yes yeah. you know huge muscle guys jumping on the back of their four foot ten girlfriends uh, because you know <laughs> and their eyes are bulging right so imagine once imagine what's happening with that individual at that moment right as soon as that flash happens they 've got all kinds of co-contractions going on in their muscles, right? Their bodies just tighten up. They're in this complete arousal state with uh, either holding their breath or shallow breathing, eyes dilated, adrenaline and cortisol just pumping into their systems, right? Um, breathing has shallowed, heart rate's elevated, blood pressure's elevated, right? All So the same thing happens with this person who's about to walk down the stairs if their pain really is that bad in their knee and it's been going on long enough. Maybe oh. maybe not quite as extreme, but they're going through all this. But now think what happens to that that same group of people in the haunted house as they 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 see that thing. They're scared to death. They move to the next thing, and they're like, oh, my God, that was horrible, right? But then they come to the next corner yeah. that looks just like the corner that they just had the living daylight scared out of them. And before they yeah. turn that corner, what do you think is happening to their body?
0: They're amping up. They're getting they're ready for it.
1: They're going through Exactly Mm -hmm. everything that just went, they went through when we saw that picture taken, maybe not quite at the same levels, but all those systems are firing the same, right? And guess what? They turn the corner and there's nothing over there, but a unicorn, right? (laughs) But, okay. But they just went through that same exact event and they're going to experience that at every corner throughout that haunted house, right? So guess what happens? By the time they leave the haunted house, they're exhausted, (laughs) right? Yeah. Exactly. So the person who experiences lower back pain when they sit or the person whose knee hurts when they go down the stairs, every, they're, they're going through those same events, even if they don't go down the stairs, even if they just walk up to the stairs. So now that all becomes more and more ingrained in, in both their nervous system and in their physiological response at the same time.
0: Now, I have a client currently who is going through this exact same haunted house effect, Right. He'll come in and he complains about, uh, about radiating, not radiating, but just like tightness is what he says. He describes it as tightness coming down his legs. So his posterior chain, like glutes to hamstrings down to the calves. And he's like, I don't know what it is. Every time that, you know, throughout the day, I don't feel anything. But once I come to the gym, I'm in pain. And I'm like, What? Did you do differently from your day to day routine to the moment you walk into the gym that is causing this issue? How do you help somebody? How do you guide somebody through that so that they don't have to experience this haunted house effect? Yeah, because
1: well, and that definitely sounds like it's not a biomechanical, purely biomechanical issue, right?
0: Because if, yeah. if
1: it happens literally when he walks into the door, um, a he's either had an experience in that in that facility that was not positive around that part of his mm-hmm. body. Um, which would be a big, which would be a big thing, but I would share with him, right? So if it doesn't happen all day, he, well, let me take a step back. The most important thing that you have to do with that client or anybody for that matter, when, when they have these kind of uh, concerns that they're having is, is not dismiss them and validate that what they're experiencing, no matter how crazy it might sound is very real to them. Right. So if you tell him, you know, that that's that's bullshit, you cannot walk in my door and suddenly you're in to him. It's as real as, you know, the, the hand on the end of his arm. So you can't yeah. you, you can't dismiss that. You've got to validate it. Now, it may make no sense to you, whatever. But you have to that is extremely important because otherwise you've lost that client and, you, and you've probably done some harm, at least in his perception of what an exercise professional is about and that sort of thing. So um I would I would find out you know, well, wait, Hey, can you take him somewhere else? And does it still happen? Can you do the same workout with them somewhere else? Because you're saying literally when he walks in, it tightens up or has he done something first?
0: Every single time. Well, he's working with somebody else also. And I don't know what they're doing. From my understanding, it's a lot of high volume work with resistance bands and like doing hamstring curls on, uh, Swiss balls and, so I don't know what's going on at the other location, but it's just like it, it, either it's the gym atmosphere or is it something that when he's coming into my facility and he's seen a PT and the PT goes, you know, your flexibility looks amazing. Your mobility's good. like he says it's something that's going on with this uh, – the alignment of his pelvis, but I don't know.
1: But it, it literally happens before he's done anything?
0: When he walks into the gym, it's kind of – he just – he says – I don't know what's going on. Like, he walks in, he goes, you know, they're they're tightening up again.
1: And do you know anything that happens in terms of his commute? Does he walk? Does he drive in a different car? Anything like
0: that? Sedentary for long periods of the day. Minimal water intake, high caffeine intake, and... That's about it. Lives a pretty stress-free lifestyle. Owns his own business.
1: Yeah. Well, anybody who owns their own business doesn't leave a stress-free lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. <laughs>
1: um, it certainly has it has something to do exactly like you're describing, like the haunted house effect, in that there's an anticipation of something, right? Um, okay. And what we... You know, the only thing I could I could suggest, uh, because obviously there's there's biomechanical things you could do, right? You could say, well, let's look at your your pelvis when you were done with our intervention. Let's look at your pelvis when you come in before. Um, is is that related? So this is a great example, not only the haunted house effect, but he has a firm belief, right? And this is means as much as anything. Yeah. He has a belief that it's his pelvis, right? And if the if the PT yes. has cleared his hamstrings, cleared his pelvis, and said it's not a problem, uh, it still wasn't enough. It still's not enough information for him to make a decision that it's not his pelvis. Right. So what yeah. would happen, let's say, if you met him um in the you met him in a park nearby, or you met him in a parking lot for that matter, and you started a warm up out there and then brought him in. Or anything that would disrupt the routine of what he would be doing. So f- for example, if you took him and met him in the parking lot and then you guys started the gentle warm up out there with, you know, high knees or whatever and then um from there you brought him in and immediately did not give don't ask him about his hamstrings and immediately get him into doing Mm -hmm. something else or or whether it's between exercise and conversation that doesn't even give him a chance to think about it then you can then at some point he's probably going to say oh i'm feeling my hamstrings again but now you can you can number one um, look and see if if that doing something different before he came in and uh distracting him for a while delayed the onset and let them know that, okay, so you can, and you could tell them, you know, I'm I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident. It's not related to what we're doing. Um, it's probably a stress response that you're having and then ask them, is there anything that we can do to reduce that, the stress that you may not even be aware that you're feeling when you come in or the anticipation, you know, uh, or let them know that, Blame the other guy. Say, whatever you're doing at the other place is is, is crap. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, What's going, it, going on over right there? It,
1: but it, it, it is worth asking, you know, because I, I do have clients come in also that, that may be concurrently seeing another practitioner. And, you know, they're doing fine because they haven't seen that practitioner for three weeks. And they saw them and they come in and the practitioner wants to throw this at them and that at them. And it's like, you know, they're, they're messing with a recipe that's already working well. Um, but there just may be, you know, there might be something or. Something going on over there that, that genuinely is causing him a, a little bit of uh, anxiety when he, when he hits into the gym. Mm-hmm. And, and that anxiety could be because he doesn't he's afraid he's going to hurt. It could be anxiety because of uh, the environment in terms of there's a bunch of super fit people there that he doesn't want to look bad. He needs an excuse of why he can't execute some of the exercises. And that, and that excuse could be that his hamstrings are so tight, right? I mean, yep. So there's there's probably a lot of things that are driving that that physiological response that aren't uh, biomechanical in nature.
0: Yeah, that's a huge psychological yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, going into a place where you want to feel like you can hang with the rest of the guys that are in there or the rest of the members of the gym and you know, go, oh, but my hamstrings. And then you can back out. You have an excuse to not move forward. Exactly. With it.
1: exactly. So again, at, at the end of the yeah. day, he's getting some – this this doesn't this won't make sense to some people, but in the because if they're experiencing pain, but end of the day, this gentleman is getting some win out of this. Um, it may be uh, a short term win. It may be a a win that relieves him the anxiety of performance in the gym, whatever it is. But there's there's a win in it for him at some level.
0: That's huge. There's so much psychology behind that. I mean, we can probably dive into it, but it'll take forever. What are, and I just kind of want to transition to this because, you know, we have so many people in our society who are dealing with chronic lower back pain. Is there, you know, and I know you, it's all on an individual basis, but is there something that you do, Anthony, that, or is there a certain thing that you've identified, a principle perhaps, that is related to that lower back pain or there's some way that you help them, you guide them through that a little bit better?
1: Um <laughs> Sheesh, it's a tough question because I know it's pretty loaded. It's very but... loaded, and, and and it's you know it is such a, a common problem, but with so many variations behind it, which is exactly why so much of the research around lower back pain is uh, challenged um, by others. Like you have you have to take all the research around lower back pain with a grain of salt because they're almost never using a homogeneous uh, subject pool. Um, meaning that people are different mm-hmm. ages, different types of pain, different occupations, um, different health histories—all this kind of stuff. And when they try to, they try to match an intervention to a, a subject pool that the results are are inevitably going to be skewed by how different the individuals are. Um, but you know, because it affects so many people, and it, it's it's natural for all of us to get a, a little bit of back pain or a little tweak once in a while, right? So you, if, if if I were to go out and garden for three hours and, and be completely flexed over and picking up stuff and doing very little standing, that, that is a tissue tolerance that my back wouldn't have because I don't do that all the time, right? So I'm bound to be sore the next day. Now, if that's me and I've never really had chronic back pain, I'm going to have like, oh man, I did too much. I'm and within 48 hours I'm back to normal. If I'm the person who's had a bunch of episodes of lower back pain and I get that same sensation, I'm going to go into I'm going to go into the oh no mode, here it comes again, and then I'm going to have a I'm going to have a completely different response than the person who's never really had back pain in the past, right? Meaning the the the, yeah. the stress anxiety, all that kind of stuff. So, um it The most important thing for the person with lower back pain is for them to understand that they're, they're not broken, right? That their MRI does not define who they are or what their future looks like. And from a movement standpoint, it does need to get a little bit more specific when we figure out kind of what their, um, what their primary provocative positions or movements are first. And then can we find any positions or postures of relief? Because that also gives us uh, insight into how, uh, they're best going to respond from an, an exercise standpoint, and then how do we build on that? Um, I would say that you got to be really careful. Um, and again, this is this is what the research tells us, and it's also unfortunately even what a lot of medical professionals are continuing to perpetuate is that you know core training, believe it or not, is not the holy grail when it comes to low back pain, right?
0: Thank you for saying uh, that. It could.
1: Be, it's. It's certainly. And <laughs> matter of fact, for some populations, it's actually um, counterproductive. For the hypervigilant individual who's already bracing and locking in and not using any variability around their hips and their low back with activities, it can be counterproductive. So, yes, if you're trying to lock down your spine because you have hypermobility there, and and you're you know, and you're a follower of uh, Dr. Stuart McGill's uh, teachings um, around trying to minimize motion for the purpose of either healing or because there's hypermobility there, then there may, there's probably a need for, for core stability. Um, but it's not the panacea. It's not like, okay, you got back pain, do core training because then it, because then it's not, then you're not seeing that whole biopsychosocial side of things either.
0: Yeah. I, I love that you said that. I mean, it seems like a lot of people that I encounter who seem to have some sort of lower back issue. It's always like, I've got a super weak core, I'm like, that's not exactly what's going on. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more than that. It's like where – and who came up with this decision that, that that is what it is? You have a weak core and that's it. That's why your back hurts. Well, it's,
1: I mean you, that was perpetuated within both the, the rehabilitation and the personal training stuff from, from the work that came out of uh, Hodges and, and his group in New Zealand – um, many years ago around the transverse abdominis, and it was, it was, uh, you know, we've learned now that it's come completely out of context and, uh, very limitations within the study and that kind of stuff. And even, and those guys would be the first to admit it. Um, that, but that's, that's where a big part of it came from. And and then it's, again, it's continued to be perpetuated and you go to your general practitioner and you got lower back pain and they're going to tell you, yeah, you just got to get a stronger core, right? And this could be somebody that's, you know, can do a, uh, Human flag, (laughs) and they got lower back pain, right? So you're like,
0: (laughs) yeah, makes sense. You got a pretty strong core if you can do that, exactly. So what about? Because I've heard other, and even I've heard physical therapists say to some of my clients that, well, it's your glutes. You got to you got to strengthen your glutes. And I mean, I'd like to think I'm somebody who has a pretty strong gluteal section. But I still suffer from some some lower back pain. Is that some of the uh, issue, or is that like the solution?
1: Well, I, I like to joke that the the glutes are the new core in terms of you know who's yep. the uh, who's the hero of the day. Um, every muscle has value and has an important role, and the cross-sectional size of the glutes obviously create a big influence on, on over what the pelvis is doing. The way that I – so if I'm if – if I understand the literature and I understand both the the biopsychosocial applications and neuroscience as it relates to chronic pain and I'm pretty well versed in biomechanics and I want to marry those two because it's important that we do if we're, if we're exercise professionals and movement is our, our tool of choice is that there's going to be – if there's biomechanical stress, okay – there's going to be a good chance there's going to be no nociception, right? So that's, that's one of yeah. those three columns of that biopsychosocial thing. So do I want to mitigate mechanical stress to the system? Yes. Do I want – and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I absolutely have to strengthen one specific muscle group, um, but it can be – and I never say, and I mean never say to a client that it's your glutes, I could say that, look, your hip isn't doing this, or we want your hip to do this better. But if you, let's say it's you, right? And you're this, you know, well-built, well-defined, strong fitness professional. And somebody tells you it's your glutes, right? What does that do to your ego? And what does that do to your perception of all the hard work you've done to date? It tells you that, oh, it must be doing everything wrong. When in fact, your glutes are probably exponentially stronger than the 60-year-old guy next to you who's got a saggy butt and has no low back pain, right?
0: <laughs> you're telling me my glutes are just as strong as this <laughs> no, guy? I'm
1: telling you you're, you're way stronger, but you're having back pain and he isn't. Yeah. And so as a result of that, we got to be careful what we say. And, and again, it's unique to every individual. The entire experience you and Biomechanics is a part of that. So if I needed to reduce mechanical stress on the lower back and the glutes needed to be doing more, that could be part of the equation, Okay. But I'm always I'm always yeah. careful to to kind of um, put a zero uh, or zero in on one specific thing um, because rarely is it even biomechanically rarely is it one specific thing and if and if it were one specific thing and you had me trying to fix that and I was working my glutes you know like nobody's business and glutes 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 glutes. Three months later, I have done everything that you've told me. My butt is popping now because I've done so much glute work, and my back is still killing me. Where does that leave me?
0: In a very unhappy. Absolutely. state. Absolutely,
1: feel like I've wasted my time. Feel like there's no hope because you told me it was my glutes, and I've worked them. I've done everything yeah. I can do, and now I'm still on a ton of back pain.
0: Then we go into more depression, more pain, and we're kind of stuck in this loop, this pain cycle, right. and there's and all the byproducts in
1: the downward cycle that goes with like that goes with that right I become uh, I'm less engaging going out socially um, I'm not exercising as much because I'm afraid it's going to provoke it or I'm going to be like, what's the point? I just did everything I was told you know I'll, 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 with that depression and maybe I start eating like crap again to kind of you know palpate or palliate myself uh, in terms of feeling better short term with some sugar and fast foods and you know, and, yeah. and it is, it's a complete downward spiral.
0: So then how as fitness professionals, or even for the general population, how can we, how can we find the silver lining? Where can we go to, besides function first, where can we go to kind of like get out of this cycle and start to live a life that's pain free?
1: Well, that's a great question. And that's part of, um, really getting educated, you know, understanding if you understand that, the analogy or the metaphor I should say that I use for my clients is if we look at the pain experience and notice what I keep using that word experience versus sensation, because that's what it is. It's experience is that if we look Mm -hmm. at the pain experience as a bowl of soup, right? And that biopsychosocial, um, are the, are the three shakers we're putting all the ingredients into that bowl of soup, right? And Biopsychosocial, each of those. So, bio has all those possibilities. Could be that tight muscle, could be that valgus knee, um, could be that degenerative. Lumbar spine it has all those things. And then the psychological has all those aspects to it, the attitudes, the beliefs, the expectations, the past experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And the social has the pressures, the, uh, the social pressures, the family pressures, the expectations, the, the withdrawal that the, the comes from not being – so. all those things go in there, right? So now you have this giant soup, and it's got all these ingredients in it. But if I understand that if I just change a few of the ingredients, I actually change the flavor of the soup – I start to move in a, I start to move in a different direction because the same way that we can have this downward spiral or that snowball starts to roll down and there's this cascading effect of bad things that happen, we can also get a positive cascade. So let's so let's yeah. say that that I, I figure out a way. There's a couple, um, couple postures and, and positions of rest and, and movements that I can do, and it's just a handful of things that that for the first time ever give me. 30 minutes of relief in my back pain where I can stand up and walk around where I haven't had that for a year, all of a sudden I'm like, this is amazing, right? It, it Maybe totally. it's only 30 minutes, but in those 30 minutes, I'm actually going to go outside and walk for five minutes. And now I'm going to get some sunshine and some fresh air. What does that do to my outlook? And what does that do to my my sense of well being? right? It gives me hope. It gives me, it, it gives me, um, uh, the ability to experience some vitamin D and, and get to smell the roses, as they say, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, I come back and, wow, that was a great walk. I'm going to drink a ton of water now. Oh, fantastic. Okay, now I'm drinking water. And then, I can, and then I start to put together another 15 minutes on top of that. Now I'm up to 45 minutes. And now I'm going to start to you know, maybe do some seated exercises with my arms because I, it feels good to get my heart rate up. And then all of a sudden, I start to start to pump out a little bit of dopamine and serotonin. And that carries me over another hour throughout the day. So here we go, and now we've got this positive cascade, and we build on that, and we build on that, and we build on that. And next thing you know, this person sees a light at the end of the tunnel. They have some hope, they might still be experiencing pain, but they're not suffering as much. And as they're and they're and they're starting to see that they've got different options and tools in their toolbox that doesn't that's not limited to opioids or surgery
0: or bed rest. Yeah, then that that right there is Absolutely incredible. Just starting off with maybe finding a few minutes of relief, then moving to a little bit more. I feel like people just expect the pain to go away immediately. And then, you know, 15 years of pain, one intervention leads to no pain anymore. It's like, no, but I started getting excited listening to you talk about that. I'm like, oh, then I'm going to sleep better because now, you know, I got outside and I drink more water and I did this. Exactly. There's so much, you know, we completely curved where we were before. Exactly exactly
1: and, 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 and all That's that is all that is, is is what can happen to that person and I'll, I'll share with you something that, that I've feedback that I've received from my clients a million times I'm going to give you for your fitness professionals I'm going to give you a little pearl that that has worked really well for me that we spend a great deal of time with uh, with clients and my first appointment is two hours with every client and at least 45 minutes of that two hours is just sitting in my sitting across from them in my office and uh, going over their health history, explaining the neuroscience, hearing about what their, their hopes and concerns and, and fears are of what happened in the past. But after we've gone through all that before we ever walk out onto the floor for any of our movement assessments or anything, I'll say to them, and this is, this is the pearl I think might be of value to the fit pros listening to them. I'll say, what will a successful appointment look like for you today? Now that does a few things. Number one, it gives me insight into what their expectations is, two, it makes them think about what their expectation is right and And I can't tell you how many times that I've had the response, which is it's already been a successful appointment to me because of because wow. of the time that we've spent giving them so you know uh, i'm uh, I thank you for saying that you said. You're excited just listening to that because that's exactly what an individual sitting across from me, if they understand the possibilities, that it's not an overnight thing. And most of them aren't expecting an overnight thing because they've had it so long. But as soon as they see that there's a possibility and how empowered they can be outside of the presence of me, it gets them excited. Yeah. And so if we spend that time, and so for those folks that can't come to San Diego and, and, or, or, work, or don't want to want to work with somebody in person in their city – that's a big part of it is understanding where can I where can I score my wins throughout the day because I can guarantee you they're damn good at counting their losses every day and it's just natural and normal for anybody who's in pain is to think about all the things that they can't do or all the things that are wrong. And I have all my clients make sure that they're celebrating their little wins, their little victories throughout the day and acknowledging those because it's just as important to acknowledge those because, again, all day long their brain is preoccupied with – acknowledging the pain that they're dealing with
0: i like it because you spend that time also i would imagine validating them and what they're going through and coming from a position of empathy and then with that 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 pearl that you said what would be a successful what would would a successful appointment look like today there's rapport and trust and they feel like they that there's somebody that is looking out for them
1: absolutely Absolutely, and then I will also follow that up with when they've told me that. And this might be another piece of uh, piece of value to your listeners is after they've said that, and and to reiterate what you just said that they their experiences. I will say, is there anything I haven't asked that I should have asked, which gives mm-hmm. them a, a chance to because most of the time they're they're just responding to questions, right? And they might elaborate on them, yeah. but there might be something that they really want to share with me. And they'll pause and they'll stop. and And some people will say, "No, I think we covered it all." But at least they'll reflect to see if there was, and at least they know that I've given them um, that opportunity, and it's open for them to share something else that they really want to share. It.
0: That is awesome, Anthony. I want to know how you're so passionate, well educated in the science of pain and pain management. How did this all come about? Where was the genesis of your passion for this?
1: Well, you know, I would be, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that when I first got out of graduate school, I, my first real job was with uh, Pete Agoscu and some of your listeners might be familiar with the Agoscu method. And I had come from a very traditional um, kind of sports medicine perspective at San Diego State, where I was in the biomechanics sports medicine graduate program. And mm-hmm. um, at the was certainly ahead of his time back then viewing the body, and he gave me this, and I always describe it as just a different pair of glasses to um, view the human body through, and, and, and really that much more global perspective that was not not prevalent at the time. And this is going back to the early nineties is I'm afraid to say, but it's going back that far and, um, and, and, and really got my start there and, and changed the way that I viewed the body. Now I was, I was there for only three or we literally started function first in 1994. So that's going back a long ways, but it, it's uh, the, and it's interesting because I never really think about it. So thanks for asking that. Why am I still passionate about this is because for me, um, it's it's always a it's always a puzzle to solve, and I always like to think if you when you see the excitement on the clients' faces in these before and after pictures of people that are doing these fat loss challenges and all that, and somebody's lost X amount of inches and and you see how glowing they are and and how that's changed their lives, which it has, and but it's probably taken ninety days plus, right? Well, if you could if you could see yeah. somebody who comes in and what their face looks like and their physiology looks like uh, when they work with us, and then by the end of the session, this person is high fiving and hugging you because of how they feel for the first time in forever. I mean, that just you know that just lights you up enough to take you to the next day and do it all over again. So you know, for me professionally, uh, one of my core values is making a contribution, and that's making a contribution to the clients that that give me the the privilege to work with them. Uh, as well as making a contribution to the industry and be able to share whatever I feel has helped me and helping my clients, and if it's value to them, to other professionals, then then I want to make sure that they have an opportunity to kind of implement that as well. And um, you know, but I'll, I'll tell you what. And just to be you know completely forthright, it is a very challenging population. Work with because you. Uh, I could never do eight clients a day the way, or eight or ten for that matter, the way so many um, of our colleagues are doing. I mean, I might at the most I would see four clients in a day, at the most, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I would be completely exhausted uh, after after oh, that. Wow. And, and it's because these folks just have a lot a lot going on, and that, that we have to we have to help them with and work with and accept and and try to get help them get through at that time. So. Um, it, it takes a lot out of me, um, which is why I've cut down significantly on my client load.
0: You're giving a lot of energy to them too, which they require Absolutely. a lot. You know, there's a lot of understanding and listening and guiding that comes from dealing with pain management. That's uh, that's incredible. Now, I want to know, Anthony, how does the cortex play into all of this?
1: Well, the, the cortex is, is, is definitely my baby and something that I developed through my love of movement and biomechanics and certainly one of those things that I felt there was a need for and that need wasn't being met. Um, You know, so we've since developed a whole set. There's a whole separate company called Reactive Training that's around the cortex. But, uh, you know, when I first came up with the idea, which was long before we actually sort of It came to fruition. Uh, It was really about how do I create this multidirectional movement of my my joints that I'm not getting from the ground and that I'm not getting on my own uh, that would allow me to to stimulate the body in ways that that would be beneficial to it. And, you know, since it first came out and since I first had the idea, the applications of using that environment, that reactive environment of that platform have just, you know, just grown and grown and grown, which has been really exciting for me. And, and there's nothing more rewarding than seeing it getting in the hands of other smart people, um, and what they start doing with it and kind of, you know, helping me see uh, another way that it can be used. And, and, uh, you know, it's exciting when you see that your product is, is being implemented with, you know, professional sports teams around the world and physical therapy clinics around the world and health clubs around the world. And, and, uh, And people are enjoying it or or it's a love-hate relationship for some people. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, again, it's, it's making a contribution, right? It's, it's about movement and, you know, we want people to move better because it makes life better. And so we can make life better if we help them move better.
0: Absolutely. Now you've, uh, mentioned that making a contribution is one of your core values. What are some other core values of yours? Uh,
1: It's certainly know your why, um, you know, and that's 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 obviously a very famous book, and um, uh, one of the, if not the highest rated TED talk.
0: <laughs> that book changed my life. Really? It was unbelievable. Oh yeah, I was in. You know, I tell my wife this all the time. She makes fun of me. But <laughs> I was working for Equinox when Woodland Hills, California, was sitting at a Denny's, and I I don't know how I came across the book, but I came across it, and I started listening to the Audible version of it. And I just remember just sitting there, I had a couple months prior to that, I had lost a significant amount of my business and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do next? Like, how am I going to survive? And I'm sitting there in this Denny's and I'm listening to this book, I'm like, fired up. I'm like, I am not going to fail. I'm going to come back from this and make this happen and that book was largely impactful on where I am today. That's
1: fantastic. And and. That's a great testimonial, and and if people haven't either seen the TED Talk or read the book, uh, uh, I'm sure we both would highly recommend it. matter of fact, one of my Christmas presents that I received from my wife was uh, the follow-up book called Find Your Why, which is a little bit of a workbook, and I'm I'm in the middle of that right now as well. How's that going? Uh, Good. Uh, I'm actually – just on the first chapter but i'm at the part where you have to you have to recruit a uh, a friend <laughs> to listen to some stories so i haven't I haven't uh, gotten to that part yet but it's um you know it's it, it's always good stuff a little review of of the first book and then and getting into kind of
0: the nuts and bolts of it very cool. So you've got know your why, making a contribution. Are there any oh, yeah. others? Yeah.
1: And, and for me, which is interesting is between two businesses and personally, there's just a giant overlap of, of my core values, meaning that like my core values for function first are really not different than my core values for reactive training um, and, and very similar to, uh, you know, what, what my personal ones are. But my other ones would be kind of uh, as it relates to my businesses meet then exceed the customer's expectations and then um, mistakes equal learning opportunities um, find our better or find my better and that's in, better is in quotation and then
0: what does better mean it means to wherever you wherever I
1: am right now it's what's the next level how do I raise my standard to the next okay. level I love that and one and then and the, the, and then it was and then the c- contribution and that contribution is is meaning to the greater good how do we make that how do how do we uplift uh, whomever or whatever that we're dealing with at that time for the greater good
0: well that's awesome those are some great values i'm still working on finding mine and establishing my why too so i've been going through that whole uh find your why course but online
1: oh so they have it
0: online yeah it's available you can do uh, it online
1: well i'll have to look at that
0: yeah, you can you can do it for everybody at function first you guys can actually get uh the whole team together and discover your why's
1: that sounds like a great exercise we should we'll put everybody through
0: i 'll send you thank a thank you yeah, no problem, Anthony. I want to uh, respect your time. you know I know we probably just have a few more minutes left here and i've got i 've got a couple final questions here for you. Uh, first of all, what is a principle in fitness that you know to be true because we have All sorts. I mean, this industry right now is full of a lot of fluff and people who claim to be experts when they're really not. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion. But what is a principle that you've stood firm next to that you know to be true no matter what?
1: Uh, That the resiliency of the human body far exceeds our expectation.
0: Could you elaborate on that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. Well, as, as organic structures, we're constantly um, regenerating and reproducing new cells. And when a individual, whether they're 75 years old, um, or whether they're 25 years old and something's happened, the capacity for the body to bounce back given the right environment, the right fuel, the right brain food, metaphorically, uh, Mm -hmm. is, is capable of tremendous recovery. Um, and, and that's my mindset. And the more I can instill that into individuals that I work with, I think the better chance that they have of of finding their better.
0: That's incredible. And now you've mentioned Peter Are there any other mentors that have helped get you to where you are today? Uh,
1: Absolutely. I would say that from, from a movement biomechanical standpoint, um, Gary Gray is, is my go-to guy. Um I you know he's and the Gray Institute in terms of the, their understanding of, of functional biomechanics and anatomy is is far exceeds anybody else that I've ever encountered. Um I would say in terms of I I've only heard him speak in person once, but in terms of understanding um the neuroscience of pain in, in a very digestible way, and one of the thought leaders and research leaders in the world is Lorimer Mosley on chronic pain, him and David Butler, but, uh, mostly I've, I've just, he's also just an amazing speaker, very engaging and entertaining speaker. Um, when it comes to sort of the coaching and psychology, um, I, I've learned an incredible amount from our mutual colleague in, in Bobby Capuccio. Um, Bobby's absolutely amazing. Um, and I mean, you know, I am, uh, as a whole, um, I'm the sum of, of so many different people that have influenced me. Uh, you know, certainly I've learned a lot from Michelle Dalcourt, uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, I'll tell you what, when, when Derek Price came to start to work with me and he was, he was quite a bit younger than me. And still when he started, uh, coaching our clients and our group exercise and stuff, I learned a ton from him. And, um, you know, he was, he had, he had a skill set that I didn't have. And, uh, and I was a student of his in a lot of ways while he was there and you know and uh, and I've learned from a lot of the big names in our industry as well the gray cooks I I've, I've, I've certainly gotten value from him um you know on the rehab side I've I've gotten value from Craig Levinson, who's who wrote rehabilitation in the spine and and certainly and Stuart McGill and and a lot of the leaders in motor learning so there's just so many to to list but having interaction with some of these folks uh on a real world basis at, at, at times certainly enhances the learning experience. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, you want to get to where you are. It's like what Mich- Michelle said over at the, uh, the summit about increasing your network by 20 times. And you know, the larger the network you have, the more people that you can pull from Derek price said, uh, I guess to use the term lightly, he said to steal from other people kind of builds up who you are.
1: No question about it. No question about it. And, and, and one, one other person I, I should never forget um, is my partner in reactor training, who was Tom Campanero. And Tom Campanero, some of your listeners might know, was the kind of inventor, founder of Total Gym. And Tom is a, an industry legend. He's in the Fitness Hall of Fame. And he's just one of the most sort of generous, um, kind of outgoing people in our industry that you will find Anybody that knows him doesn't have a bad word to say about him, and he's taught me so much about business, but not just about business, but in relationships within business and stuff like that. So, uh, and he continues to mentor me as a partner now in this business.
0: That's awesome. Great mentors here, Anthony. Thank you. Uh, is there a book that you recommend for pain management, or just for our listeners, like some a resource that they could go to to help uh, mitigate pain a little bit better?
1: Um, so, so these are mostly mostly professionals, right, that are listening in?
0: Professionals, some general population. Yeah.
1: There's um, there's a book, which is actually, and, it, and it's, this is Laura Mosley's book. It's called Explaining Pain. And um, it, I think it's on the second edition, and uh, it's written by him and um, David Butler. Uh, and these guys are out of Australia, but it's it's probably, it's a self-help book. Um, And either one of those guys, if you sort of Google them, you're going to find out um, multiple tools that they have that they they use in their books and things like that for helping, empowering people um, and and the education behind it. And, And they've both of them got a ton of YouTube videos and things like that. And then there's one last thing that's really quick and insightful on YouTube is a channel that's called Brain Man, and it's kind of a whiteboard format that gives a whole, gives a quick overview of a lot of this stuff as well. Brain man.
0: Fantastic. I'll be sure to check those out. Uh, AC, this has been such an incredible experience. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Where can people find you? And you have a, a course, right? Yes,
1: actually it's just being, uh, the updated version of it. We just did a collaboration with the American council on exercise. So the pain-free movement specialist, um the online level one is available now with Ace and uh and then we have level twos and threes that are done live. Um so we're, yeah, we're very excited about that. And It's all updated. And in fact, uh, Bobby does uh contributes to one of our modules on the coaching side of things, Bobby Capuccio. So we're thrilled to have him as part of it this time around.
0: Awesome. And then online, best place to find uh, you.
1: All stuff kind of around the function first is at functionfirst.com. And if anybody's interested in the Cortex, it's at cortexfitness.com, C-O-R-E-T-E-X
0: fitness.com. Fantastic. I'm going to be sure to, shine, uh, to sign up for this pain-free movement specialist program, Oh, Anthony. fantastic. You'll love it. I'm excited. Any final thoughts before we close uh, here?
1: I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity, uh, especially the some of the other wonderful folks you've had on here. And I'm probably most excited to hear that you found your why. And this is part of it. And you're living your passion. And um, I would just encourage you to continue to make a
0: contribution too, Cam. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anthony. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I look forward to staying in touch with you. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of The Principles of Fitness, everyone. I want to give Anthony a special thanks for being with us on the show today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, leave a comment on iTunes, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Principles of Fitness.